It's super convenient for us to default to this statement, well, we did it as kids and we were fine. And here's the thing that I'm inherently questioning. Are we actually fine? And how are we defining fine? And so I want to explore this topic. I want to have a fulsome acknowledgement of how the kids are doing. We are going to look at them from a psychological perspective. We're going to look at them from a psycho-emotional perspective. We're going to talk about their health. We're going to talk about resilience. We're going to talk about the environmental influences on them. And we're also going to be delving into solutions. We're going to be delving into solutions because because, well, I don't want to unpack without giving people hope. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. So last night I did something wild and crazy. I have, I have, you know this, we've been hanging out. We've got three kids almost 11, just turned nine and six. And my almost 11 year old, well, she's in that almost 11 year old phase where she's like maximally concerned and aware of the opinions of others, which is surprising when you look at the state of her hair. Now, I don't say this because I'm like, I'm not one of these moms that needs to do their hair all up. And like, I let them tend to these things themselves. But it's just reached a point where like, the knots and lack of brushing are like approaching a non-hygienic state. And so I finally got her to actually brush her hair, but we were both in acknowledgement that she could use a haircut. Now we were up against the timing of needing to leave on vacation. I walked her up the street to the place where I always take them. You don't need an appointment. Well, apparently yesterday, uh, yesterday you did. And so I was so fixated and so determined that yesterday was going to be the day that all of my children's hair got cut, that I made the worst decision ever. And I bought a pair of scissors and decided that I would do this myself. Now, I had previously cut my children's hair uh, once before, and it was on a very notable diagonal. And it happened during the pandemic, probably accompanied by some rosé, and it was surprising even to me that my kids agreed to let me try again. I'm not sure what compelled this to happen, whether it was like my deep-seated subconscious that really just wanted to like clean up my oldest daughter's hair, whether it was a slip of hand or whether I just wasn't paying attention. But she asked that I remove the exact bare minimum required to satisfy as a haircut. She wanted her hair long and made a very clear request. And I don't know how this happened, but I chopped and in chopping like three inches vacated the bottom of her hair. Well, the reaction was fast and swift, but as you likely can figure out, you can't do half of someone's hair and head like this and leave the other half and the tears and the drama and the betrayal that she felt from me was fast and furious. And I did, I did feel badly. I took a lot of hair off her head. And surprisingly, my middle daughter agreed to let me attack hers uh, next, which I was much more care. I learned from, from round one. What that moment made me realize as, as Naya was, was reacting uh, I'm not sure if appropriate is the right word, but reacting in a very fulsome manner uh, to the experience as I realized and felt in that moment something someone had described for me for a really long time, which is 
little people, little problems, bigger people, bigger problems. And it doesn't even mean they're like real big problems because hair grows back, but it's the perception of that. It was the, the breadth and the weight and the, and the severity of the reaction that I went, oh, we are in this brand new phase. And this phase is coupled by the fact that we have come out of a pandemic that kids have been managing their own personal mindset and emotional concussion as a result of what they have been asked to bear over the course of the last few years. And so as we transition from a series about resilience, and you had a chance last week to hear from the amazing Jess Sherman, and really this was such a bridge episode because we talked about kids and we talked about resilience and I struggled about where we were going to put it. I really decided that I wanted to do a series with some of the preeminent pediatric experts in North America, if not the world, around this topic of, are the kids okay? And I say, are the kids okay? Because what I don't want to say is the kids are not okay. Because kids are resilient and kids do have a capacity to bounce back, but not just because we want them to. And I think that's one of the challenges is it's more convenient for us if, if you know, the, the kids can bounce back on their own. It's super convenient for us to default to this statement, well, we did it as kids and we were fine. And here's the thing that I'm inherently questioning. Are we actually fine? And how are we defining fine? And so I want to explore this topic. I want to have a fulsome acknowledgement of how the kids are doing. We are going to look at them from a psychological perspective. We're going to look at them from a psycho-emotional perspective. We're going to talk about their health. We're going to talk about resilience. We're going to talk about the environmental influences on them. And we're also going to be delving into solutions. We're going to be delving into solutions because, well, I don't want to unpack without giving people hope. As we step into this new series, and you already got a glimpse of it with Jess Sherman, as we step into this new series, what I thought I would do is I would start to break down some of those areas of prioritization as a parent for me. My husband and I try to sit down on a quarterly basis and really acknowledge what are the key things we want to make sure that we are focused on or aware of for our kids in this season. And by no means does this mean we are perfect parents because we are not. We chop off three inches of hair from our children at a moment's notice. We get angry when we probably should be better emotionally regulated. We don't always feed them perfect food. And none of these things are the point. I think the point is for our kids to see that we are human, to see that we have a capacity to bounce back, but to know what ingredients need to be present for that to take place. And when we do that, my hope is, is that we are building emotionally and physiologically resilient kids, kids who can have an amazing impact in this world. So on that note, I want to welcome you to the Impact Podcast. And here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes together. And I'm your host, Megan Walker. And if you're new, we're going to unpack all the ingredients and all the things you need in order to have your greatest amount of impact uh, in the world. And if you've been hanging out for a while, you know, I love to do these solo episodes. I love to do them as like countdowns and and throw things down as a series of, I usually do like a top 10 or top five. And what I have for you are my top seven, because that's just where we were at. There were like seven core things that we're particularly focused on uh, right now. And I'm just going to take you through and talk you through why these are the things we have chosen to allow to rise to the top at this particular season within our family. It doesn't mean that they will not change. It doesn't mean that they are right for you. 
but here is our thinking as two adult, two adult doctors, the naturopath and the pediatric surgeon by background who no longer treats patients either. Here are the things that we have chosen to uh, prioritize for our kids on the backside of a pandemic, recognizing where they are at. At the very top of our list, I'm going to go from the things we really focus on most, not necessarily the things that we focus on least, but are, are less prevalent in a second by second moment. And so the first thing that's on my list is food. I feel like we kind of have this reputation in our neighborhood, or maybe I'm just hypersensitive to it. And I know some of you will send me very nice messages telling me not to worry about it, but I'm very sensitive to the fact that every time I like pull out a snack bag or another parent pulls out a snack bag, they preeminently apologize to us about what they are about to feed our kids or theirs. And the truth is most of the time we don't care. I don't care what my kids are going to eat at the park. I don't care what they occasionally have at a birthday party. I am not concerned about what you feed my children when they go for a sleepover. Because when I do get to have control and I do get to have ownership, which is 90% of the meals that they eat, I'm really conscientious about how and what I feed my kids. I used to say to my patients that I'm not concerned about what you do once a year. I'm concerned about what you do every single day. And so at the top of our list is food and the culture that we create around food. I don't want my kids being concerned that one one abhorrent meal of potato chips and birthday cake and ice cream and other such things are going to derail the effort they put in at 90% of the time. I also, though, want them to understand that when they put things into their body, that it produces more work for their system, that when they choose to have food that are covered in food coloring and loaded in sugar, that they aren't going to feel well, that those are choices that don't necessarily put their body in the best possible state, but not to worry, their body can also handle it. I want to give them context to understand the nuance of food. And I definitely don't want them to fall into the trap that I think so many of us, apologizing to my parents, who raised their kids in the 80s fell into, which was, oh, we did it when we were kids and they're fine. And I've spoken about this before because the truth is we're not really fine. Over a third of adults in North America are taking antidepressants or anxiolytics. And guess what? We're seeing similar numbers in teenage kids. So many of these pieces, and I'm not exclusively connecting them, but so many of them can actually be improved through the nutrition that you are choosing to eat or through the things you choose not to eat. And so I want my kids to understand that relationship between the, how they are feeling emotionally, how they are feeling physically and the role that food can have in that place. And so it is a proximate conversation and element of awareness within our family, but certainly not the only thing. Number two for the hall walkers is mental health and resilience. We talk about how we are doing and how we are feeling. We don't try to dismiss those feelings. And I know so many of you as parents are aware of this piece and you're, you're, you're doing these things in your family as well. So there's no part of me that's trying to tell you what to do. I'm just sharing with you one of the areas of focus for us. It's checking in with our kids and making sure that they are okay. It's chatting through with them how they wanted to manage going back to school when some kids were wearing masks and some kids weren't. And maybe they wanted to take theirs off, but wanted to be conscientious of their their peers? How do I balance my own needs in the context of others? These are really big questions that as adults, we have not figured out. In fact, we fight about them every day on the news. So I want to give my kids the tools 
to be able to understand and contextualize how their own decisions influence others and how that's going to make them feel. We talk about feelings a lot. We talk about how they resonate in their body and we talk about what type of action or boundaries or challenging conversations they may need to have as a result of those feelings. And we acknowledge that everyone has them, that they are not unique, that they are not somehow weaker because they have a different spectrum of feelings than someone else. And the more you do that, the more you normalize a spectrum of feelings, the more you encourage them to connect to them, the more you make them realize that they can overcome and do hard things because we really try hard not to protect them from the hard things. And gosh, that so far feels like the hardest part of being a parent is what I've found is that is what develops resilience. See, resilience is one of our goals. And we, my husband and I, as two adults who had divorced parents, we talk about resilience all the time. How do we make our kids more resilient in the absence of getting divorced? Like it's this kind of joke in our family. The only way we're going to be able to build resilient kids is for us to sort of impart some sort of childhood trauma upon them. And certainly there is an opportunity to develop resilience by going through hard things, but we want to crack the code on how to do that, how to develop the resilience piece without, you know, having to get divorced. And so we talk about doing hard things over and over again. And so while mental health is item number two, this one gets a category all on its own, and that is failure. I want my kids to know how to fail and be rejected with grace. I want them to feel that feeling and also know that they come out the other side. I do not want to be so protective as a parent that I prevent them from having access to that feeling and to that situation until they are adults. Because I watch adults shift and maneuver and avoid and not actually step into their own potential over and over again in my business because they are so concerned with failure and so concerned with rejection. And gosh, like we're human beings. Those are two of the worst feelings around. It's like maximally invoking of shame. And so while I don't want to walk around like shaming my kids and setting them up for failure, that is by no means what I'm trying to do. What I do want them to do is step outside their comfort zone. What I do want to do is celebrate the rejection and the failures with the same frequency and acknowledgement that I do their wins. And so we are starting a thing in our family. And this is like, we've always talked about it, but now we're doing it because I think my kids are old enough to start to understand this all at their own levels and at their own pace. But we're doing a thing now where on Fridays, we talk about our Friday fails. What did we try this week in life where we didn't get the result we were hoping for? And what did we learn from it? I want to start doing that on my own channels as well. I want to start talking about those in my own groups. I want for as adults for you to know if you're hanging out with us in Impact Money Club or in Clinician Business Labs or wherever we happen to be or wherever I happen to be, that one of the things we value is graceful failing because it is an inevitable part of being an adult. And in fact, if you've managed to avoid failure up until this point, you haven't probably been playing hard enough. And that's one of the ideas that we are bringing to the table because when you fall down and fail and realize it's not the end of the world, what you do is you throw another brick of resilience in your backpack, which is one of the key skills we want to make sure that we are able to impart to our kids. Our fourth item is physical health and the value of physical movement. I don't know about you, but if I don't exercise, I'm really not nice to be around. Like there's probably anywhere else you'd rather be than hanging with me if I haven't exercised for three days, getting my heart rate up, getting super sweaty. Like 
lifting weights, whatever the case, whatever the case may be, this is a really important part of my life. It's an important part of my mental health. It's something that we do with our kids. Our kids are all involved in different types of sports. It's a place where they can experience failure. Sometimes they experience rejection, but it's safe. They learn teamwork. There's so many things that can be learned from the opportunity to engage in physical fitness and physical health. I saw this woman recently on Instagram and I was so triggered by it. And she said, forcing your kids to exercise and into physical, any kind of physical activity against their will under the age of 18 is akin to corporal punishment. And I was like, oh my gosh, not teaching your kids how to love the complete capacity of their body and how to move it. That to me is punishment, neither of which I think amount to corporal punishment, but that's a whole other online internet debate. So we value physical health tremendously and we don't just talk about it. We actually do it ourselves. Number five, Gosh, this has been a huge challenge for us this year, but really getting our kids to love learning. When you have one kid who's particularly exceptional at school and your other two are really smart and really good, but don't necessarily have the the same acumen or the same types of intelligences. They have different intelligences, which are valued within the school setting in different ways. That's a whole other unique challenge that you experience as a parent. And so one of our goals, especially on the backside of the pandemic, has been around how do we get our kids excited about learning, learning for the sake of of learning, of reading a book that is on a subject that is of interest to them. How do we drive that piece forward to them? It's been a significant source of focus for us as, as parents and as leaders in our family. We both love to learn. We both learn differently. And so having that conversation and then also teaching our kids that they each learn differently and how to be patient and uh, excited about learning and acknowledging that different people around them are going to learn differently. This has been a a source of, of, I'm going to say emotional struggle uh, and emotional challenge uh, for me, but it's something I'm recognizing as they get older and older, teaching them to just love learning for the sake of learning is such a critical part. Now, these last three, and you can see how as we go, they can become slightly more esoteric. This next one, number six, this is, this is something I've talked about before. It is something that, that I had uh, exposure to, important exposure to as a kid. And it's something we're really strategic about as parents, but that is conversations around money. I'm really trying to catch myself when I say things, oh my gosh, that's wasteful. It costs so much money, or you're being ungrateful because we've made this investment. I realize that like when we have conversations about money or when I say something like that, they're often in a charged moment. I'm often emotionally charged when my daughter dropped my brand new iPad Pro and shattered it on the floor. I was taking a deep breath because I was like, it's another $2,000 to replace this thing. And I was trying not to make it about money. I was trying to make it about the fact that they weren't supposed to be in my office in the first place. But I'm aware that when we do bring up these money pieces, it's often in an emotionally charged state. And what we're really trying to balance is an understanding and teaching for them of the mechanics of money. How do we make more money? How do we secure our money? How do we put our money out into the world to do great things? How do we make our money grow? And how do we invoke with them a healthy mindset around money so that it isn't a source of pain so that we are able to talk about it in a positive context to balance at the times where inadvertently, because we are human, we're going to throw out the thing about, you know, there are starving kids in other parts of the world and how can you not be more grateful? And so this conversation around money is just as much about them as it is about us. And it is about us catching 
ourselves and changing the narrative, especially around that mindset piece. And so we do talk openly about money. And in fact, the more I work with individuals, whether it be practitioners or or other individuals that I coach, which I'm fascinated by the money stories that we all have. And I've never met anyone who doesn't have a money story that emanated from childhood. And so being aware of that, I see this as this unique opportunity and this unique window in their lives where they can cultivate a positive relationship with money. And I want to be responsible for cultivating that positive relationship with money because I want them to value it enough that they do the same for their children that it isn't something to be feared, that it isn't something that is evil, that it is something that is, that it is a tool for creation. And I fundamentally believe that. And see, this idea that money is a tool for creation, well, this leads me to my last and seventh area of focus right now. And gosh, there might be others, but these are the ones like we're consciously trying to cultivate. And this last and final area is really around cultivating for them and conversations around their finding their purpose and those things that excite them, and the things that make them unique, and then also igniting joy. What truly brings them joy, and how do they find joy? You know, I've I've talked forever about this notion of purpose, and the ingredients of it, and how do we get it, and all of these different, uh, these different elements. So I can talk about that mechanically with my kids, but I also want them accompanying this and and completing this piece of purpose i also want them to realize like not everything has to be driven outcome oriented not everything has to be about achievement or hitting that next benchmark or fulfilling your purpose and making money from it and all of these these pieces i also want them to know that they can pursue things and create things in life simply because it makes them feel joyful i want them to know what joy feels like and i want them to be able to triage yes or no does something fit into their own profile of joy in their life. Because what makes me happy might not make them happy. And I want them to know at no level is my happiness tied to their actions. I want them to truly feel that sense of autonomy and the responsibility and excitement that comes with this idea that you get to create joy for yourself. And that's maybe one thing that I want to leave with and and impart to all of you. It's this idea of joy. You know, so much of what we talk about in this context of impact is is about achieving. It is about, you know, that next level. It's the morning routine and how can I like how can I move faster and biohack my way past everybody else. But here's one piece I just want to leave you with at like the front end of the summer and in this pursuit of supporting our kids. What if one of the most important elements of our responsibility as parents or as leaders within our community is to help other people simply experience joy for the sake of joy, simply to find happiness for the sake of happiness, not tied to a KPI, not tied to a specific outcome, but just to be in the moment to experience that sense of joy. And that's where I want to invite you to move to this summer. I want you to engage in things that bring you a sense of joy, that it's not about getting up extra early before the sun comes up every day so you can hit the ground running in September. And if that brings you joy, then amazing, but it doesn't have to bring everyone joy. In fact, part of this is acknowledging the fact that what makes me happy and brings joy into my life might be entirely different than what brings joy into yours. But as high achievers, as people who are always looking for that insight, This notion of finding happiness for the sake of happiness, for just being in it, for the sake of being in it, 
that in and of itself presents a compelling challenge. And it's the challenge I want to leave you with for the summer. So on that note, I want to, I'm like, I want to wish you well as if I'm not going to see you every single week moving forward, which I am, but I'm not going to do another solo episode for another few weeks. And I'm about to leave on vacation to head to Europe with my family. And we are going to have joy for the sake of joy. And I am going to leave my computer behind and I am so excited about it. And so I want to wish you a joyful summer. I want to wish you an amazing time uh, with your kids or with your family or doing whatever it is that makes you happy. But lead with that happiness, lead with joy, and I will see you again next Tuesday. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in, or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.